when you asked No, me. no. Um, <clears throat> as a matter of fact, I didn't want to uh, do a series. They, uh, the producer then called me up. We had a long talk, and as long as I could make Fonzie a human being, I said, fine, and now I'm, I work with great guys. And, and thank God that we have him yeah. Yeah. because, well, I mean, he's such an important character, and uh, he's brought so much to it. And we learn a lot working there. And, and a lot of girls come to the set because of him. Really? <laughs> <laughs> everybody and welcome to the Nightfly with Dave Juskow. The podcast you wait for every week, every Tuesday morning. With nothing to talk about. I mean it's crazy. I just I cannot get out of this loop of Sundays. I mean that's the, here's the issue. Let's just get right into it, right? We don't have time for this nonsense. Well, I because the thing is, so I I love recording in the daytime, looking out the window, and it's nice, and it's, uh, I don't know, it just seems more uh, uplifting, but um, I, I, the loop of Sundays, it's making me uptight, because then, you know, if I, if I miss the Sunday, if something comes up, I, I, I can't get a thing out by Tuesday, you know, it's very difficult, so I don't know, I, I gotta work, and, and, and as you can see, like, no guests, which doesn't matter anyway for us, but I'm just saying, once in a while, it's nice to mix it up, but I, I can't mix it up. I'm like, uh, I'm in this like loop. But again, then I was thinking about it. I'm like, well, who cares really? I mean, the podcast has been going on for five years. There's over 200 episodes. I, I No one, no one else has a podcast that is strict once a week, I don't think. I think people put them out when they feel like it. You know it comes out every week. Even if there's nothing to talk about, we find stuff to talk about that we enjoy each other's company. I mean, it's just, you know, it's, it's, I'm not saying it's difficult. I'm just saying it's, uh, I guess this is the way something like this would go. You have phases in which you just spend, well, then there was that, you know, period of time where you just didn't have anybody on. And then there was a period where you had everybody on. And then it's, I, I guess that's the way it goes. So I have to keep telling myself that. But, and I, you know, like I said, I just can't get the Sunday morning routine down. You know, now that it's not football season, obviously that'll all, maybe that's the difference because I have my Sundays back. And God damn, I wish I could just get out of that football mode and, and that's just a gambling thing, I think, uh, and have Sundays back again like a normal person, So, which I do for a while. So let's just relax. It's only April. Um, and, you know, you definitely want, um, it's, it's just wonderful to, have an extra weekend day because I feel like they're all messed up come September. I'm like, no, I got to concentrate on the on the gambling, which is like, I mean, that's pretty much what I'm saying when I say about the football. Although there was a time when I stopped gambling and then I still enjoyed football, but I think I could distance myself from it. I mean, I'd like to not run the pool anymore. I'd like to just stop everything football-wise. But, you know, I got a problem. Hey, hey, oh, what are you going to do? What are you going to do, right? Hey, maybe I'll meet a nice little lady who settle down and it'll stop, right? Because then I'll have, you know, I've got chores. i got a kid or something. You know, what are you going to do? Are you going to be able to not pay attention to the kid on Sundays? Oh, <laughs> uh, anyway, the point is, um, I don't, I just, I can't, these Sundays, I, I can't get them together. I keep waking up, like, I, I keep waking up in the middle of the night. 
because I know I'm going to do it. Like, I'm not stressed about doing the podcast, but I'm like, I'm excited about it because, you know, I've come up with a, some topics that are, and this week, they're so stupid, but I, you know, I can't help myself. I mean, what can you do about a podcast? You have to talk about what interests you. And so today, what interests me is Henry Winkler. What do you want me to say? What can I say? Sometimes Henry Winkler interests me. Sometimes maybe the new Avengers movie would interest me, but that's not today. In fact, the new Avengers movie is just pissing me off for some reason. I don't know why, because it's probably going to be the greatest box office uh, movie of all time. And it's just, it's, it's frustrating. I don't know why all these superhero movies, as much as I enjoy them, I only enjoy them a little. They're so long. Is, 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 isn't this new one three hours? Is this necessary? That's what I keep saying. I mean, why, why do these movies have to be so long? Is that if it's a comic book, they're like, comic books are like 10 pages. And they're all full of commercials. It's kind of annoying. But it's just kind of funny because I remember as a kid, you know, you were just like, oh, my God, when when will they ever make a good comic book movie? You know, I mean, we, we that's why Superman was so amazing. And yet that's probably slow. The 1977 Superman or whatever that was, 78. Um, it's just so crazy because now they make, they churn out uh, like on a, an assembly line these superhero movies and they're awesome but uh it's also too much and it doesn't give anything else a chance but i guess nobody else wants anything a chance because i don't know these movies they just you know the black panther becomes the third greatest movie of all time everything's askew you know me i like to i like to look over the the details and everything oh <laughs> i don't know what i'm doing anyway the point of the matter is is that uh I always wake up in the middle of the night and then I'm like, oh, let's get up at eight o'clock in the morning and let's, you know, get the podcast ready. And then, you know, but then by the time it happens, I always wake up around between 1030 and 11 and then I got to watch a tiny bit of TV, just kind of wake up a little bit. And then really, I only watched like five minutes, knew what I had to do. Then I got to go outside and get a cup of coffee. Then I got to set up the podcast and the clips and everything. And by the time I start the podcast, it's 1230 already, which of course, who cares? I'm not doing anything else. I just, I don't know. I just feel, I, I can't get out of this loop. But what's the big deal? That's the other thing. What the hell am I stressing about? Who cares? I have nothing else going on. I have nowhere to go. I, I did my mother obligations yesterday. And what, let me tell you, my oh, my sister really dicked me over. Yesterday, she asked for her and her friend to get tickets to see me open for Sarah on July twenty, uh, July 18th at the South Street Super. She goes, yeah, I'm with Pam, and we're going to need some tickets. And I'm like, well, you know what? You would have gotten those tickets if you hadn't completely dicked me over yesterday with your mother. Oh, she dicked me over. I finally got Beth and Dory to come with me to Rhoda's, you know, because they feel obligated. It's a very Jewishy thing. I'm like, oh, I got to go see her. I don't want to go see her, but I'm like, what am I doing? I'm not doing anything. I got to go see her. If I have, so I pray for plans, but there's always one day of the week and I don't have any plans. And I'm like, oh, I guess I go see my mother because that's what, what you're supposed to do, right? Well, you got to do it. Even if you hate your mother, you got to do it, right? So I go, so I, Saturday, the plan, I finally got them to come because Beth always has the excuse like, oh, we're running today. We're running. So we can never make it on Saturdays. And I'm like, well, screw you. It's not like she's coming down any other time of the week. So I'm like, just because I, I don't want to be there alone with her. So I said, we'll get the bagels and locks thing again. Come down. She said, all right, we can make it Saturday. I get a call on Friday night. 
at around 10.30 for my mother. She goes, yeah, Beth's not coming. She got a bigger part in the show. Oh, my God. She's in another goddamn show. Now my sister's in two shows, two annoying shows. And she, she got a bigger part than she thought, so she's going to have to rehearse and she can't come tomorrow. And, I, and she, let me tell you, she has not called me or texted back. Even after I said, like, if she had written back something funny, like when I said you can't get the tickets now, and I was just kidding. If she had written back, yeah, sorry about that, something, I mean, something, but nothing, because she thinks I'm really upset, but I'm really not. What I'm upset about is this. Think about this, and I told my mother this the other day, because it's kind of hilarious. My sister, when I, when we, when we all have to go see her stupid, stupid shows, and right now, next week on Mother's Day, I think, I, I got to sit through a production of Newsies, are you fucking kidding me? And then now she just got an Evita and plays in the park. And remember the last time I I uh, went to the bathroom and then I had a, a wet spot in my pants. I was so embarrassed. <laughs> so I was wearing like white pants. I forget sometimes. And then, the, you know, the pee drips through. <laughs> so, ladies, let me just say, if you're looking for a man... Um, no, but I, I don't want to go to see any of those shows. I don't want to see any of her productions because they all stink and they're all low-quality productions with poor acting, poor singing, and poor dancing because, you know, next Thursday I'm seeing Beetlejuice on Broadway. Now, granted, it's Beetlejuice and it's supposed to be horrible, but at least it's Broadway quality and the sets are going to be amazing and the special effects you got to figure are worth your, you know, however much money you spent on it. So I said to my mother, I'm like, you know, every time we go see Pesto, we're getting, we're getting nothing. We're getting nothing for our time we spend. Whereas when she's coming to see my shows, she is getting top quality comedy. She's getting to see the best comics in the country. I'm giving top quality performances and I get nothing in return. So why do I got to see all these stupid shows, these stupid shows, either her or her dumb kids. And let me tell you something else about her kids. Now, you ready for this? Billy who I'm, you know, extremely jealous of because, you know, he keeps getting plays because he's tall. It's not because it's a talent, or maybe it is. I don't know. I don't think, he, you know, I don't see anything there that's great, great. But, you know, again, I am jealous. Um, this kid just got, like, all A's and B pluses on his report card. Now, he's an idiot. So, he, so what... We think because my sister's like, I don't know how this is possible because I've seen his tests, especially in like music theory, which is really complicated. They're all C's. They're all C's. And then he got an A minus in his report card. How is that possible? I'll tell you how it's possible because, folks, I think we need to start watching that movie Idiocracy again, the great Mike Judge Idiocracy, because now these teachers, for many reasons, are so afraid to give out any kind of bad grade they're just giving out A's and B's. And can you blame them? Because we know there's a bunch of crazy fucking parents out there that if their kid get a C, they're going to get lip. They're going to come in and say like, now what the hell kind of teaching is this? And these teachers, they're not getting paid very much. They're just trying to live their lives, trying not to come on to their students apparently, and just trying to get by. So what is the upside for even if you hate a kid, in this day and age, when everybody's not supposed to be better than anyone else and nobody sucks, what is the upside for a student, for a teacher, to give a student a C or a D, or especially an F? Where's the upside? 
because the parents are going to come in like, what the fuck is this? Now my kid can't cry. And why put the teacher under the microscope, Exhibit A? Because then all of their work will be compromised. Exhibit B, it makes them all look like horrible teachers. And Exhibit C, I mean, just like, who wants the, the trouble? You might as well just give the kid a B. If it's a troublemaker, he, he goes to the next grade. You don't got to worry about him again. And that's that. So that's what's becoming of our society. And you got to see this movie, Idiocracy, because, I mean, this guy, Mike Judge, was way on top of this early on that we're all just going to be a society of nimwits, of complete idiots who only watch wrestling and know nothing about anything else, about plant growth and, and how to survive in any other way. And that Gatorade produces electrolytes, so that's the most important thing you can drink in your daily life. This movie is brilliant. Um, I think once Trump was elected, they made them put it out again in the movie theater. I get it. Um, you should see it if you haven't. But I know I have some teachers that listen to this show, and I'm like, you must be in agreement with me. I don't know whether it works the same way in the middle of the country, but, I mean, here, clearly, that's the case. I mean, it's not like he's a bad kid, but, there, you know... Um, I think teachers are afraid to give out. Any- now, first of all, they don't even give Fs anymore. They don't even give Fs anymore because everyone's so afraid that there's going to be a parent. And this has happened to my sister before, like who happens to be a lawyer, who happens to be a complete crazy Laurie Laughlin type, okay? And they're, and, they're, and they're afraid for their jobs. And can you blame them? If Lori Laughlin's kid got a C or a D, you just ruined her chances to get into college. She's powerful. She's got money. She, you know, all of a sudden, she, I mean, this is before this all happened, right? If you gave Lori Laughlin's kid a C because she doesn't play attention, and I'm saying a C, a C, big fucking deal. But can you imagine the wrath that's going to come down if you give Felicity Huffman's? It can now that we know for sure they're both clearly insane with means and everything else. Can you blame? Parents, actually, at this point, for homeschooling their kids? I mean, we all look at them as, you know, well, retards. Anyone that's homeschooled, for all of us that, have not, that are not homeschooled, we look at those people as idiots. Anybody who comes out of homeschooling, anything they do that's suspect in the sense of even just like, you know, saying something weird we're like well they're homeschooled i mean that's what we're gonna say for the next 10 15 years but the fact of the matter is i don't know maybe that's not a bad idea considering that this is the case whereas you know somebody who's clearly gotten the tests of all c's is just getting b's and a's look at me calling out my nephew it doesn't matter because bet's not planning on sending them to college anyway so this is a disaster for our whole society. And with all these platforms, and stuff, I mean, I was thinking about, I mean, with all the, this is the stuff that bothers me at night, all the platforms, but I can't get on any kind of TV. It's an embarrassment in every way. But now anyone could be on TV because there's so many platforms and so many people need it. It's kind of funny that somebody who actually wants to do it for all their life just still can't do it. That being said, um, this morning's rant. 
Oh, there's plenty more where that came from. Uh, I'll just say that, uh, oh, my God, this week, I, I ate too much this week. And so what did I, Thursday, Thursday I went out. Uh, this is the problem, man. It's, it sucks. When I got to meet somebody later, um, you know, it's like, I'm like, well, I don't want to go home because I'll never come out again. So I go drinking because I don't, I don't know what else to do. So that's what I did Tuesday and Thursday. Tuesday, I had to help Attell move from one place to another. Like he had this uh, poker table. He needed a movie. He used my van. So he didn't want to meet, of course, till 11 o'clock. So I leave work at 6. And I'm like, well, now what do I do from 6 to 11? So I went out drinking. I uh, drinking these little 23-year-olds, went to their rooftop. They live in Fidei, the new term for the financial district. It was actually a pretty good time. And then they were like, yeah, we're going to bed. It was like 9. Well, what the hell am I supposed to do now? Fortunately, one of them wanted to come out, so we went to a bar and kept drinking. And then I know the drinking and driving doesn't settle with the, the kids, but it's just Manhattan, and I'm, I was feeling okay. Uh, didn't have to travel very far. And then... Uh, yeah, I just meet him at 11 o'clock. But I was like, what was I supposed to do all that time? You know, at 11 o'clock, and then we do the thing. Then we go down to the cellar. And then it's a whole, then it's at 1.30. He's like, let's get something to eat. And then I drive him back to his house. And he's like, let's just sit here for a while and talk. Because, you know, they never want to go home, these these comics. <clears throat> and I'm like, it's 3 o'clock in the morning. I got to put my car back in the garage, which is all the way across town. And then I got to go to work in the morning. I, I, I can't hang out anymore. I'm done for this evening. And then on Thursday, the same thing. My friend Katie was in town. And she's like, yeah, I can meet probably later, like around 9, 9.30. <clears throat> Sorry. I have so much acid reflux lately. I don't, I don't well, I, I know how to combat it. I just uh, choose not to. Um, so what am I supposed to do from 6 to 9.30? So I went out drinking again. And then it's so funny. I met her at this hotel bar, which I thought was hers, but it wasn't because she didn't give me any information. She just gave me a street, and I met her at this hotel bar, and I'm talking to this couple. They're nothing but nice. One, This one guy's an MMA wrestler or an MMA fighter, and this girl, and they're from Canada, and then this other old black musician, like from the 30s. I don't know. He was like 88. Um, and so when Katie came in, she thought I knew that couple. She thought I was friends with them. I'm like, no, I just met him at the bar. It's like every time we're together, you always meet somebody that I think you're friends with for a long time. I'm like, I don't. I don't know. I, I like to. I, I talk a lot, <laughs> so it just comes out. Um, but the funny part was when after we finished, uh, we went to the bathroom. So I'll meet you out here. And then I met a guy in the bathroom. And then like, she's like, "What took you so long?" I'm like, "Oh, I met a guy in the bathroom. We're gonna go to his club." And then we went to his club <laughs> for just for a drink. Um, it was really funny. It was like a dance club. I was, yeah, I met this guy in the bathroom. He's okay. Uh. <laughs> you know, is it wrong to be a friendly person? Maybe in this day and age, who knows? Who knows? But now I'm friends with an MMA fighter. Now that's exciting stuff. Of course, he's from Montreal. He's Canadian. But, uh, you know, we can let that go. Canadians are okay. They just secretly speak French, which I makes me nervous. Um, but the point is, is that so Thursday we uh, I went out. And I didn't eat anything. You know, I ate maybe at Chipotle that day in the afternoon. But then at nighttime, I came home and I opened a can of SpaghettiOs, you know, the 22-ounce can. Then for some reason, I had some bad dreams. I don't know why. And then Friday, I got up and we went out to this Chinese, this nice, good Chinese restaurant. 
and they, you know, for lunch. So he, you know, kind of a lot there, I guess, for lunch. And then at night, we went to that Peking duck place, you know, right down the street from my house and, uh, and the, where they cut the duck in front of you and they put it into the sandwiches. But it was too much. It's two Chinese meals in one evening. And the problem was that the thing comes, if you, if you get the Peking duck for four and it comes with two entrees, an appetizer, soup, you know, that's, that's, that was plenty for me because I wasn't that hungry. And then they ordered another entree and another appetizer. And I'm like, shit, now I got to pay for all that. You know, it's really expensive. And I didn't want anything. I really just wanted the duck and the appetizer. I was full after we had the duck. Um, but, you know, it's all right. These are nice people and stuff. And we're, But, I, I mean, I was, you know, stuffed. I couldn't eat it. I, I mean, I was finished. And then, um, and then I knew in the morning I was going to have bagels. I'm like, oh, this is too much. I got to stop. But... Uh, I just had an omelet. Well, then after by two o'clock, actually, it was. So that was like 24 hours later. Well, it was 12 hours later. Whatever. Anyway, just eating too much. I got to relax. This happens to lots of people. You just have, you know, just kind of happens. Although I was at my mother's, so I went on the scale. So I'm not too happy about that. And again, you know, you're going to get this new hair. You got to get, you know, you got to get some thin or something but food is so delicious <laughs> it's so good why so why play the uh mike douglas uh show up top why that was henry winkler on the mike douglas show where they're just talking about uh how he got all these girls they'll come to the set to see henry winkler now it's funny i have seen these these clips, um, <clears throat> I guess I was looking up some other stuff and these clips just came by and I thought they were completely fascinating. I mean, the first fascinating thing, of course, is our favorite. We love playing clips from the Mike Douglas show because he's so stupid. And the fact that this was the go-to show, if you became, if you were getting big, and that includes John Lennon and Yoko, you had to go on this daytime talk show in Philadelphia and give the respect to this idiot, Mike Douglas. Now, you know we have played the clip where he introduces the cast of Star Wars. He just sounds like a fucking moron because, you know, we know what Star Wars is, but he's just already so old. He has no clue. He goes, now we're going to introduce some uh, characters from a crazy movie with a, uh, a crazy robot, an R2-D3, whatever his name is, and he goes beep, bop, boop, bop. I mean, he just sounds like a fucking moron. And that's the one where he introduces Mark Hamill, Harrison Ford, and Gary Fisher from this this brand new movie all the kids are talking about. <laughs> what an asshole. And there's that same introduction for the kids from Happy Days. Four amazing young men who have played an important part in uh, pulling off, really, the television surprise of the past year. They've been instrumental in, in making the nostalgic comedy series of the 50s, Happy Days, number one among all the new television shows. Here's Richie... Fonzie, Ralph, reading off the goddamn Hotsey, teleprompter. Ron Howard, Henry Winkler, Danny Most, and Anson Williams. He, he's reading off the teleprompter. He can't even. And they're all posing when they come out. They look really good. But he's reading off the teleprompter. He can't get that right. Danny Most. He does apologize later, at least. How do you think that makes that guy feel? What a fucking idiot. He's probably sitting there going, "We got to go on this guy's show." And they're kissing all these black girls. I don't know who they are. 
That happens all the time. I want the gentlemen to introduce themselves while they're taking the lipstick off. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. That's Anson. Oh, it's worth it. Okay, uh, I'm Anson Williams. Anson Williams. Donnie Most. Donnie Most. Ron Howard. Ron Henry Howard. Winkler. Henry Winkler. Was 11th, and uh, everybody was very concerned. But uh, ABC put on a terrific ad campaign. Oh wait, this is the best. What he's talking about is how they toppled Maud. How the Happy Days toppled Maud. I I don't tell me this isn't hilarious. I mean, not to anybody that's 22, but come on. I want to ask you, have you? How is it? What I mean, it's such a very big show into a new time slot. The the show is so successful, it's forced. Really? And it's great because they're talking about ratings. I mean, this is my favorite thing. They're talking about ratings. They're talking about how they top of the ratings. So technically, this is my favorite thing of all time. The mod show into a new time slot, and that's successful because that was one of the top shows. Yes, it was. Yeah, yeah. it really was. We, we were nervous about going up against Maud. I mean, anytime you're a mid-season replacement, you're going into somebody else's time slot. That's right. And, and Maud, the week before we went on, Maud was like third in the nation. And I, there's nothing funnier than this conversation. We were very nervous about going against Maud. This is stuff you're never, ever going to hear again, <laughs> ever. And nobody's going to understand. And if you're watching it, it's just like, you know, we were very nervous about going up against uh, the great B. Arthur, as you know. God will get you for that, Arthur. We were very nervous going up against Maud because, let's face it, Maud, I mean, is... Uh, and the funny thing is, is like, was Maud that popular? I mean, it was popular, but it wasn't that popular. It's just kind of funny to even sit there and go, we were very... I mean, that's this is... This is hilarious. Adam 12, which was on the... And other Adam 12! Very nervous. And uh, everybody was very concerned, but uh, ABC put on a terrific ad campaign. And people watched our show the first week, and we, we developed an audience. I think we lost uh, one week in the ratings. Otherwise, we were first every week. I don't think the viewers generally know this, but on television, they break down the ratings into what they call demographics. And a very important demographic figure is the 18 to 49 age yes. group. 77% right. right. of our audience. We're seventh in the nation in, 77 in the 18 to <laughs> Ron, you're considered kind of the veteran actor of the group, aren't you? Because uh, I know everybody saw you in American Graffiti. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and what a delightful boy. I mean, they all seem like nice people. Uh, so then um, I guess they, they take some questions from the audience, and it's really funny because clearly, you know, I mean, the Fonz was the Fonz. And um, they take questions so there's two girls that immediately ask uh, questions. I think the people in this studio audience would like to ask questions over here. We've got a lot of wonderful people out there tonight. All right. Look like they're loaded with yeah. questions. Who would like to ask the first question of these four young men? Young lady in white who just raised her hand up there. Would you stand, please, and identify yourself? My name is Kay Pratt, and my question is for Henry, who I think is super. Thank you. And my question is, do you believe in sex before marriage? I do, yeah. Oh. <laughs> uh, I, mean, I, don't know. I don't know if I'm supposed to say it. What the hell? I believe, the thing is that um, being, being an adult is taking responsibility for your own actions. Um, and if you are of sound mind and body and you so choose to have a relationship, I mean, what is a physical relationship? Is this necessary to comment on? I mean, what, what century were we living in back then? It's the logical extension. When you have no more words, you must kiss somebody. And the thing is that um, I, I certainly believe in that, yeah. 
And I don't think it's immoral. I think it is absolutely wonderful. Uh, however, we'll keep the lights up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> keep those lights up. Okay. <laughs> Next question, please. Turn them down and that's it. <laughs> yes, Miss. Right there. Would you stand, please, and tell us who you are? My name is Bonnie Eric, and I would like to know, is there any one of you that is really in love? Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, I fell in love in Detroit. <laughs> With oh, Anson. Um, it, it, you know, the, the funny thing is, is that so it's all girls and they're asking questions about, um, you know, their lives or whatever, because they're they're teen, they're idols. Right. So they're it's a, a successful show, like they said, and they're asking the uh, proper questions for something like this. But then the strangest thing happens. They ask this old black man a question and I don't know where they got this guy from. Questions. I can't. Yes, sir. My name is Lewis Patterson, and Hi, I Lewis. would like to address my question to my fellow Leoite. Right. Ronnie? Donnie. Uh, the- he, so he's aggress- addressing the question to Donnie Most, who was, well, they found out he was a Leo, you know, like me, and apparently Mike Douglas. But this poor kid, if we ever get this guy on the podcast, we have to play this, this poor schmuck gets screwed. The other questions are like, do you believe in sex before marriage? Are you guys in love? Do you guys have puppies? And then for some reason, they must have hated Donnie most. They have this dude come up and ask this unbelievable question that they just should have edited out, but it might have been live. I don't remember. There's so much controversy regarding the quality of education in the lower grades, and since the kids spend so much time in front of the TV. I haven't seen your program yet, your uh, show. Uh, will it ever be uh, a part of it will help generate a more interest in education for the children? Oh. That's a very good question. Hmm. Um, I, th- I think um, the show, from my point of view, is pure entertainment. And um, it's an escape. It's going back to nostalgia. Now, um, I think that there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's fantastic in today's times when things are really hectic and people like to just look back. As far as um, will it um, instigate them to go f- further into education, um, I think there's an interesting point because um, the three of us are in school. Henry is, is a dropout. So that, that kind of a lot of people, you know, at first got a little uptight about that, that he's a dropout and everything. But the thing is they make it a point that Henry really has a lot of sense to him. I mean, he really comes to our help. He's got a heart, and he's a very, actually, he's a very intelligent guy. We always ask for him for the advice. So, um, you know, I don't think it's bad that he's a dropout, and I think it's but overall like, a good But I'd like show. to throw in my two bits on this. Yeah, <laughs> Sorry. Okay. 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 Uh, because the show takes place in the 50s, I think that, that people uh, in school will be a little more interested in learning about the 50s. Well, I... I uh, That's the right answer. And the funny thing is, it's a pretty good explanation from Donnie Mose, but what the, this guy's... What an asshole. Like, I haven't seen your show, but will it deal with education? Why didn't they throw this guy out? Is he kidding? Can you imagine? Can you imagine? That would be a sabotage. If I was on a show like that, and somebody asked me that question, well, I would cherish it, because I would be like, who the fuck is this guy? I would say that immediately, of course. But, I mean... It, it's like, uh, where, where was the security people? And where were they, who were they asking to get up? And I mean, they, this is why I think nowadays they have screeners 
and they make sure what is your question. I'm not going to let you up unless I know what your question is. And that's as early as in 1982 when I used to go to the Letterman show all the time. They would go through the line and say, what is your question going to be? And it might stem from this actual episode. Do you think that Happy Days will fix the education process? Uh, Now, I've never seen your show, but do you believe that it's educational enough? And the funny thing is, what was I just, I was just yelling about the the, the education and everything's bad. And this guy's yelling about the same thing. And this is 70. Do you think the lower grades are due to television watching? I mean, oh my God. We've been screwed for years. And he's right. Television watching has completely screwed up everything. I'm not complaining about it. It's fucking great, as you know. But yeah, with all Netflix and the internet and everything, we're all doomed anyway. So we might as well be entertained. And if he's asking this question in 1974 that everything sucks, because this guy's from a, uh, you know, a long time ago. He's an old, much older gentleman. He's probably in his 60s, although... What I found, and maybe you guys will understand, like, you know, me being in my 50s, uh, I found that everybody I think looks older seems to be like like 48. And it's pissing me off that, you know, I'm like, wait a minute, this guy is younger than me. He looks completely older. How can this be? Well, I'm just looking at the East River and it looks like it's not moving at all, but it's an optical illusion. I just can't see far away and it was a tree. I was like, oh my, wait, did the river just stand still? That's impossible, right? Uh, okay, so anyway, the re- the, I have a, a reason for playing these ridiculous, ridiculous clips. Uh, and I'm going to tell you what they are. But let's, um, I find this uh, all very fascinating. You know, the, the reason why I'm playing this, there's many, multiple reasons. Uh, I'm trying to think if I should play it first and then uh, go back. But one of the first reasons is I keep thinking about what Oprah said about Michael Jackson during the HBO. If you've finally seen the uh, Michael Jackson, you know, four hour HBO thing. And then, of course, the very important Oprah thing after I'm not talking about that Oprah's important, but the it was very important to watch the Oprah interview with the two guys and the director after because. I don't know. She said a couple things that, you know, we've talked about it already that were very enlightening. And I just keep thinking about the one thing she said where there will never, people will never be able to understand because there will never be anybody like this again when she was talking about Michael Jackson. There will never be a a, a magnitude of star like that again. I keep thinking about that because it's so true. Because Because now we have access to our celebrity crushes like an Ariana Grande who's very big in the world. I'm not comparing her to Michael Jackson, but let's face it, she's pretty goddamn popular. And, you know, but she has access. You can hear her thoughts on on Twitter. You can see interviews with her on YouTube or, or she might say, hey, guys, you know, I mean, there's access. Whereas, you know, I think that was the difference back then. There was no access. You got what you got on maybe the news. There might be a, a thing and 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 or watching an entertainment tonight or something like that that was about it which made the stars seem bigger uh because there wasn't the access they're like these people that are just on the movie screen or whatever and your tv screen and that's that so michael jackson being the most popular person on the planet and it's funny because i was just going over so much michael jackson i was going 
Jackson 5. Uh, I almost want to like spend a day talking about the Jackson 5 and and their songs and how Michael transitions. But, I, you know, everybody's confused now because, uh, you know, how are, you know, what do we do about Michael Jackson, who was so amazing? And now it's all really tainted. But I was going through the whole discography of everything. And it's just so funny when I think that one of the transition songs, oh, my God, oh, my God, I remember the, the transition I'm talking about from when he was a little boy singing with the Jackson 5 to where I was reading about they left their contract that went, uh, they left Motown, then they had to call themselves the Jacksons because, what was it, Mar- not Marlon, uh, Jermaine didn't leave because he was married to Barry Gordon, Gordy's daughter, so they couldn't call themselves the Jackson 5, and they called themselves the Jacksons, and I remember this song that was like, the, I, can't, I forgot it was the Jacksons, it was pop- like, even during the transition awkward period, he still had hits. You know, before Off the Wall or something. Do you remember this song? Because I totally remember it. It's just funny that I totally forgot. What year was this? It's like Les Michael. I remember this song, but I forgot it was the I forgot it was the Jacksons. Been like singing this through my head like all week. Like 1976, 77. So, so you know, it's like I mean, that's way after he was. You know, what I don't know how old he was. Maybe he was sixteen or something like that. You forget about like the little train. I mean, the, the thing the guy had been around for so long. It's just so messed up how it all ended. But so anyway, I was talking about like the big, you know, stars that were then, and then I was because I guess I was watching Barry which is on HBO, and I just, you know, watched Henry Winkler do his thing, and nobody, I didn't think Henry Winkler is acting that good, although this week there was a thing where I'm like, boy, this was really terrific. And the fact of the matter is that Henry Winkler is, besides the Fonz, was just an okay actor, but he's so beloved. Like, I don't care how he acts. I just want to see him. I don't care what he does. I just want to bask in his presence because you and I know, who are of a certain age, how important the Fonz was to our existence and that he was just as big as Michael Jackson as far as we were concerned. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, we you cannot explain that. I can't explain that to my friend, 23-year-old Caitlin at work. That This is my dad trying to explain to me how big the Uncle Don radio show was that he was on. And I'm like, what? You're out of your mind, old man. I mean, this is this is it. We are old people trying to explain that you don't understand. You see, the funds, you, you can't, I mean, you can have somebody watch it and they're like, wait, 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 wait. Let, let's see if I get this right. You're saying this guy 
And remember my joke. I mean, my joke sticks. That's still the best joke. Just can't explain it unless you're over 40. um, That, you know, the Fonz had the best agent of all time. Like, you know, they wanted a Sylvester Stallone type. And they're like, do you have somebody like that? And they're like, no, no, no. But I've got a short Jewish kid with a winning smile. I think you're going to like. I mean, this guy's so out of character. I don't know how he got this job. I don't know who he was blowing to get this. But let's face it, he was unbelievable. And this is how popular it was. And this is great. And this is a real testament to somebody like Ron Howard. And you know that they were friendly. And they're still very friendly to this day. But. Remember, we always talk about, and I'm I'm sorry if this if this isn't what you want to hear today, but you know this fascinates me my shit. Um, when we always talk about that idiot, that complete jackass Meredith Baxter Bernie, who should never have been on television except for her looks, her horrible acting, the fact that she thought she was ever funny, gets a second chance at a show with the great, hilarious Michael J. Fox, and is mad because he's taking the, taking the. Uh, you know, her stealing focus from her. And here is a perfect example of a gentleman who is the star of the show. Happy Days is made. Remember, not only is he a legendary television star already, kind of like Johnny Galecki from Roseanne, not legend, but, you know, Ron Howard was already a proven TV star being on the Andy Griffith show, but now he's also a movie star coming off a very successful movie of American Graffiti. Happy Days is made for him. But the Fonz comes along and is amazing. Now, remember, these are kids. It's not like Meredith Expected Bernie, who might have been in her 30s at the time, who can relax, you know, and say, like, you know, and rethink this is Ron Howard. Maybe he's maybe he's 21. And this 28-year-old comes up and he's stealing the show. But Ron Howard is such a gentleman. And we know that. We can just tell by the way he talks and his demeanor and even the movies he makes. And you haven't heard a bad word about him ever that he was able to deal with this. Think about this. If you're an actor, I mean, what's worse than, I mean, can, look, if this happened to me, this would have, if I was 20, this would have been a nightmare. Now, if I was on a TV show and there was somebody on my show who was calling attention to the show, I'd be like, this is great. Like, if I found a Pamela Anderson, I've always thought of this. If I found a Pamela Anderson for Baywatch and she just became the, I'd be like, man, did I luck out. But if I was 22 and somebody else was funnier than I was on the show, I'd be livid. So I don't know how he handles something like this. It quickly evolved into a show more about at least equal parts about the friends and the family. And Henry Winkler's character, Arthur Fonzarelli, the Fonz, exploded over the first couple of seasons so much and just grew in, in this, you know, remarkable way. And eventually the focus of the show became really more about Fonzie. And they had to almost manufacture a relationship between Fonzie and the family. So he started living in the garage apartment, you know, with the Cunninghams because they didn't want to lose that family. Um, it did bother me, not that he was getting the attention because I thought he really, really deserved it. But at one point, there was a huge shift, an intentional shift. The first season that the show was on, it was on for half a year, it came on mid-season and it performed really well. And it was a single camera show, a gentle kind of humor, much more like the Andy Griffith show, frankly, um, or like a little movie. 
The second season, we began slipping in the ratings, and we were up against Good Times, and Jimmy J.J. Walker was exploding as a as a sort of a pop entertainment, you know, figure. I absolutely, I just love this shit. I just love this shit. I love when somebody's talking about this thing. They're like, yeah, we were up against Good Times, and you forget, like, wait, Good Times was popular, but right, J.J. Walker was he had that dynamite thing, and then he talks about that. I mean, this is fascinating stuff, and I love the fact that he goes, I was upset, and then he tells you why. And he was hilarious, and he had the catchphrase "dynamite," and people were putting dynamite on their t in their t-shirts, and we didn't have any of that. And um, we fell in the ratings; they almost canceled us. But Henry Winkler, through those single camera shows, had just exploded as as a as a as a character, and but had yet to be moved toward the center of the show. So Fred Silverman had this idea, um, and I'm sorry. I also love this because he's talking about Fred Silverman had this idea, and um, when Fred Silverman moved to NBC, all SCTV did was make fun of Fred Silverman and his ideas, and that's why it also makes me laugh. They're like, "Well, I got together with Freddie Silverman, and and then they have Freddie Silverman on like a guy playing Freddie Silverman." I mean, it's just every time I hear that name, it cracks me up because SCTV rules wanted to try the show first in front of a live audience. Gary Marshall, you know, liked that because he had done, he came from, from audience shows like The Odd Couple and Dick Van Dyke and things like that. So we did the last episode of the second season in front of a live audience. And that was a sort of a test to see what that would be like. And that went well. I don't really remember what the episode was about, but Henry had a big part in it. And people were like screaming when Henry would, would appear, you know, and, and, uh, we went out on a publicity tour, and it was a little bit like we were a boy band, you know, and um, and and you know, and Henry was the lead singer, or something, you know, and it was, but it was that kind of in sync sort of Beatlemania kind of thing. It was kind of kind of wild, but during the off season, I was approached by Tom Miller and Ed Milkus and Gary Marshall. They basically said, Fred Silverman wants us to change the name of the show to Fonzie's Happy Days. Now, we would give you a raise if you'd accept this. We'd give you episodes to direct because we know you want to be a director. You know, we'd, we know this is, would represent a shift. But, you know, how do you feel about it? And I thought about it. And... Went in and had a meeting with Tom and Ed. Gary Marshall wasn't at this meeting. I went alone, no agents or anything. And I said, um, I really signed on to be at the center of a show called Happy Days. And I respect what's happened here. But rather than be in Fonzie's Happy Days, I'd rather go back to film school. And, and, um, they, well, how about you directing some episodes? And I said, well, you have a genius, Jerry Paris, directing episodes. I would never, I'd feel horrible denying the cast of Jerry Paris's genius for even a single episode. I mean, is this guy just the one of the greatest guys? Instead of, I mean, Jerry Paris was, um, you know, uh, Dick Van Dyke's neighbor, uh, and he was a legendary television director. I mean, this guy at such a young age was so smart and probably all those years of working on a television show 
helped him propel through this. And he looks like mean, he went out with no agents or anything. And what was he, 21, 22? I can't imagine handling something like that. But I mean, the way he talks, and I, I believe every one of it's not like he's um, going back and like he was angry and now he can look back. He was like this then, and he's very calm about it now. I, I find this completely fascinating, and hopefully you do too, and that's why we're together. I'd, I'd feel so uncomfortable. It wouldn't even be a good experience. There's everything to lose and nothing to gain with me getting to direct an episode of, of Happy Days. It's just a bad idea. And I, I really, it's not a negotiation. I just don't want to do it. And, but I understand if you want to do it. And uh, I laughed. And on the way out, Gary Marshall intercepted me and he said, well, we're not going to do this if you don't want to do it. And I said, I just don't think I can feel good about it. I love Henry, but, you know, just, I just wouldn't want to do that. And, um, and they understood. And, and they, they, you know, and I understood that the show was going to shift. And that they were going to move Henry more to the center of the show. I could accept that. I just didn't want it to suddenly be called Fonzie's Happy Days. So interesting, you know, like he was, he, and, and, he, and it's for real. He's not being a phony. He was completely accepting of Henry Winkler's part on the show. It's kind of a miracle. That, I mean, they got so lucky in hiring this nice, polite young man who really didn't care. And then, of course, that Henry Winkler was clearly a polite person who got it, who didn't let fame go to his head and was easy to work with. And then, of course, you know, I mean, that's the thing. Richie, Ron Howard was the lead of the show. And that's why, you know, even when they had the credits for the third season, Ron Howard is first, but Henry Winkler got moved up to second, where I don't even think he was in the credits in the first season because that was the right thing to do. But isn't that nice? They were like, I mean, uh, he was so polite about it. He's like, if that's what you want to do, that's fine. I just don't want to be a part of it. You can't blame him. That's ridiculous. And and think about that. Because of this little 20-year-old kid, he told the executives, you're making a huge mistake, dummies. Hey, dummies, the fuck is the matter with you? We got a good thing going. You just keep it the way it is. You can shift. Do whatever you want to do. Just keep the name. Are you guys kidding? It's very smart. But then the thing is, so then um, I just want to play this, which is funny because you're hearing two different sides uh, but of the same story. And this is the Henry Winkler version of like, you know, that they really were this popular. It's funny because you'd be like, oh, OK, sure you were. But then, you know, you hear his I'm story, glad too, that I was older. I am happy that I was 28, 29 years old because it was gigantic. It was I don't know what it was. People wanted my socks without taking off my shoes. I mean, it's just funny because, you know, if you hear somebody talking like this, again, if you're in your 20 and you're like, look at this guy, he's like, it was fair. Okay, sure it was. But, you know, it's like he's trying to make sense of it too. Because, no, it's, I mean, I don't want to compare it to what I said, something I said last week, but it, it's, he's not being a douchebag you know like it really was legitimately you know it was scary it was and here's the thing this is what i learned from stardom and normally you would say who the fuck look at this guy this is what i learned from stardom shut the fuck up but well it's a real thing he was a superstar but anybody else that would do this you would be like what an asshole but when he's saying it, it's like you're not, you got to remember. 
He was huge. It was sick. And I was the perfect age to, you know, what they were going for. You know, what, no, less time, what, 10, 11? Fonz was the coolest person ever. It was amazing. You can't explain that to somebody. You can't explain it to somebody. You have got to see it as a mirage. You cannot believe you are more than you are. I didn't grow. I was still short. My nose was still the same size. Jew. I couldn't wear an Edwardian suit. You can't get caught up in that because it is instant destruction. If you think you are more than you are, if you believe your press, if you start to believe that you're the center of the world. So when you can then keep that kind of in some kind of check, it's really objectively fun to look at what's happening and where you're going and who you're meeting and who's talking to you and who's saying, I like you. And uh, the uh, sanitation engineers in New York stopped me and, uh, at two in the morning to sign their truck and fire trucks would stop. And the police would stop me at a red light and say, where are you going? And uh, put me in their, uh, their car and take me where I had to go. I mean, wouldn't, if it was anybody else, wouldn't you just sit here going like, shut up. But you and I know. That was a thing. And all that definitely happened to him. And it was real. Who wouldn't stop him on the street and be like, dude, whatever you need. And women came out of Park Avenue, um, you know, uh, their buildings. He's trying and to be say, polite. Oh, my God, I watch you. And in Harlem, they said, oh, my God, I watch you. And on Indian reservations, the Hopi Nation uh, in um, Arizona said, we watch you by attaching our television to our car battery. We watch you. And in 126 countries, we watch you. And, oh, the Smithsonian wants your jacket as part of their permanent collection. I mean, that's something else, right? But it was all fact. It's unbelievable. Before I met my wife, girls knocking on your door at 3 in the morning saying, am I disturbing you? I said, no, actually, I was writing out the Magna Carta from memory. And I, it's time now to take a break. Wow. I mean, it just, and you're making a living, and you're doing what you dreamed of doing. You're, you're acting, and this is happening. We okay, so here, this is the reason why I was going to, this is why I decided to play this today. Uh, I'm trying to, th okay, I'm going to play this clip first, and then we'll go backwards. We went down, the four boys, uh, Anson, Donnie, Ronnie, and Henry, went down to Dallas, Texas, and we appeared at a mall. 25,000 people separated us from the car. And it was the very first time and one of the only times I ever used the character off the soundstage. Soundstage 19 on Paramount Lot is where we shot the show. And I looked at the group and I said, all right, look, there are a lot of you. There are four of us. You're going to separate like the Red Sea. We're going to get to the car. You're not going to touch us. You understand? And you see, now he's going into the Fonzie voice. And that was when it got me. I was like, oh, my God, he's doing the Fonzie voice. 
It is a character. Now, we know this because at this point, we've only seen Henry Winkler act like Henry Winkler, but you forgot. Oh, my God, he's doing the Fonzie voice. And the difference in the voice and how much it really was a character. Sometimes we forget he was doing a phony voice. Somebody said, wow, you are so cool. I went, right. Somebody said, you are so short. I said, fuck you. They went, you are so cool. <laughs> it's also the, the, the only time I ever cursed in character. But, but effective. All right, we're going to go to the Red Sea. I mean, it's a, the, the reason why I was bringing it up is because when I was at the Big Bang Theory, and this is a thing, and this has been coming up a lot, Johnny Galecki is having all these emotional issues with the show. I've read it in the paper, and then he's been talking, you know, whatever. And I'm like, this guy, all right, I get being emotional about the show ending. But here's what happened to me, and I think I told you when I was at the set, whatever episode they were filming with his mother, with Christine Baranski, I got there and they said, uh, you know, we're giving Johnny some space today because he's filming this very emotional scene with his mother. And, uh, you know, it's like a really big thing. So we're trying to stay out of his way. So everybody's saying out of his way. And, I, and the first thing I think to myself, I'm like, is he fucking kidding? You know, I'm like, is, are, are we, uh, is he an actor? Are you for real? You get, okay. And then, but I'm like, you know what? I don't know how the scene goes. I don't know how the scene goes. Let's see how it goes. I'm sitting in the audience, you know, but there's no audience. I'm sitting just by myself in the audience. I was filming a little of the scene. And then we had to leave when he was going to do the scene because we couldn't be in his eye line. We couldn't be in his eye line because I it's such an emotional scene. He might get distracted by seeing me there. And I'm picturing the ostrich in uh, Family Guy. Ha! <laughs> But he might get so distracted because he sees this old Jew sitting in the audience, he won't be able to act anymore. Oh, my God. So I had to move. So then I see the scene. The scene, yeah, it's emotional, I guess. It's about 20 seconds long, and he hugs his mother, and that's the end. The emotional part is the fact that he obviously likes Christine Baranski a lot. He likes doing the show, and that's the emotional part. But get over it. You're an actor. You're getting paid a million dollars an episode. Go fuck yourself. Then you got to tell her, I can't have anybody in my sight line. I can't have anybody in my sight line. I saw the scene. When you see the scene, I don't know when it airs. It's going to be soon. Maybe it was last Thursday. I don't know. When you see the scene, you tell me if you need three hours to prepare for this 20-second scene where he gives his mother a hug. You tell me if I'm crazy that this guy should just concentrate on making a million dollars an episode and shut the fuck up. And the only reason I'm angry about this is because we were just listening to Henry Winkler, and he says, he says what I would do, I think it, I think it comes up, he says, what I would do is I would put on my coat at noon uh, on show, you know, I would always just be blah, blah, blah. But then on noon, every, you know, when we were getting on the show day or whatever, that's when I'd put on my coat and get into character, you know, on show day. 
And then you say to yourself, again, you know, if, if you're not an actor, you go, ah, oh, you sissy, you got to get the character, you sissy. But then when we're sitting here and listening to him talk, it was a character. Sometimes we forget he was playing a character. All right, he's what we're going to do. I mean, and the character was fucking good. And when you hear him say it, you're like, oh, my God, I miss the fonts. I miss the fonts. He was so cool. We don't even know why. You're watching the show. You're like, how did this guy, this guy's the greatest actor of all time. How did he fool us? How did this little short Jew fool us into being the coolest guy in the world? But that's, that's an amazing actor. And he's playing a character and he had to get in a character at noon. You know what? I buy that. I buy that. He was doing a character. Can you imagine how fun that would be? Like, you know, he's just like, I mean, it's like that Seinfeld episode, like, uh, try Elaine. Elaine, Yes. You know, the girl playing Elaine had to just be in character. Well, that's stupid. Johnny Galecki's playing himself. He's not an actor. He's playing himself. This guy, Henry Winkler, was actually doing a character that he had to get into because why not? And it's a fun character. It's not like it's not like uh, that idiot. Uh, who's that moron that was in Lincoln? You know, that guy that's one Daniel Day-Lewis. He's got to be in Lincoln character for like two weeks. You know, this idiot going around. This guy, he got it. He was just on show day. Getting the character a little like, completely acceptable, let alone he was the biggest star on the goddamn planet. He wanted to make it good, and he wanted to get into character because he wanted because maybe that's what worked because it was working. So whatever he was doing to make this the most one of the most successful characters in television history for all time because television's on its way out. So maybe there's the Fonz and there's Archie Bunker. Whatever he, and remember, Archie Bunker was a character too. Carol O'Connor did not talk like that. So you got these two actors that would get into character because they were actually playing characters, and this Johnny Galecki's just playing himself. He doesn't even have to dress up. He's probably this is probably what he wears. Whatever he's wearing on that show, he probably wears outside. He's like, I gotta concentrate, I gotta concentrate on my character. My character. It's very important. It's very important. What a joke. What a jo- How can you not mock somebody like that? He's making a million dollars an episode. You know what I'd say about his making a I mean, yes, you can wield that kind of power. You're making a million dollars an episode. Like, I don't want anybody in the... Uh, yeah, well, he's listen, he's the, he is the true star of the show. And, uh, you know, before anything happened, he was the star. You could say Sheldon Star, but it's Johnny Galecki who was the star. And nobody knew who Jim Parsons was. So, yes, you can wield that kind of power. But, you know, be a man and just be like, yeah, it's an emotional scene. And I'm such a good, this is what I would do. I'm such a good actor. I can be playing cards off stage and then I'm going to go into my character, you know, about five seconds before and I'm going to do it. And people are going to be like, boy, that was terrific. You're such a good actor because you were just talking to me about the Yankees five seconds ago. And Lawrence Olivier said that to Dustin Hoffman, famous story. He goes, they're doing Marathon Man together. He goes, oh my God, you know, Lawrence, I've been doing all this stuff. I've been, I've been not showering. I've been not bathing. I'm like running around, you know, like I actually did all this stuff. He's like, why don't you just act, you fucking jerk off? I don't know why. As soon as I heard him do the character, I forgot. I had forgotten it was a goddamn character. mundo. And you hear this idiot. He's like, I, I know, I can't have Dave Juskow be in my sight line. I was the only one asked to move. I, I cannot have Dave Juskow sitting in the audience. He's gonna, it's gonna bother me. You'll never hear this story from anyone else except me. I was the only one there. Please, can someone please move Dave Juskow to the left? I cannot do this scene if Dave Juskow is in my eye line.
Please, people. I, I please, I make a million dollars an episode. I cannot handle this. Why is he sitting in that chair? I'm not even exaggerating. That's the true story. I never thought about it like that before. He's basically saying, I need Dave Juskow out of my sight line or I cannot act in this episode. I will go back to my trailer until he is gone. And that is final. And I said, Jesus, why do I got to leave this ridiculous? Come on. You fucking kid, why don't you just act? And I yelled from the bed, why didn't you just act? All right, I didn't. Obviously, I was just like, oh, sure, I can move. What am I going to do? I was a guest. Donnie Most and I were in Paramus, New Jersey. And it's still funny every time. We were chased up a fountain in a mall. Up, we That's how I'm going to start my next uh, album. Donnie Most and I were in Paramus, New Jersey. How are you? All right, here's the scene where he says he gets in the character. Unbelievable. It was fun to hear them scream. You wanted them to scream, but you didn't want them to scream too long because it got in the way. So we talked to the audience and uh, uh, from, a, from about, uh, from 12 in the afternoon on a shoot day, I would start to get into character and I would only talk like the fonts. And then it, like I would get into makeup and then I would like really act to anybody like the font. And then I came out, you know, when everybody was introduced, they came out, oh, hi, I'm Ron, and nice to see you, going back now. And then I came out as the Fonz. Said hello to the audience, right? Oh, my God. Okay, went back to the show. To get it out of the way. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? Because that's all you wanted to see. Can you imagine how disappointed you'd be if he was like, not in character? So if this guy wants to get in a character at noon, just on shoot day, and walk around and be in makeup as the fonts, which you know everybody worshipped, and no one cared about, because the best character is so much better than Daniel Day-Lewis getting into his Lincoln character. Can you imagine? You'd much rather be the makeup person doing the fonts, because that's hilarious, instead of doing the makeup with Lincoln. Can you imagine? Imagine if the same makeup person, geez, I used to do the fonts. This was much more fun. Well, I don't know. I mean, uh, I remember when I stopped the Civil War, I also thought I was cool. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm sure that Johnny Galecki, or however you pronounce his name, is a lovely guy, but dude, you're just on a stupid show, and I love this show. But why don't you listen to that clip of Henry Ringo say, you can't be full of yourself. You got to be this. You got to be this. Of course, on the flip side of that, how do you not be full of yourself? You're making a million dollars an episode and you it's your second successful series. I, You know, there's two sides to the whole thing. It's unbelievable. So um, before we uh, leave today, let's go over this unbelievable, crazy controversy that is happening. to be done 
And it seems that someone left it to the colored man. why darkies were born because someone had to pick the cotton someone had to pick plant the corn someone had to slave and be able to sing and that's why darkies were born well that is kate smith singing that's why darkies were born from 1931 the big controversy now of course is that for some god knows reason this idiot uh the new york yankees have this idiot singing god bless america For some reason, for some God knows reason, the New York Yankees have been playing that stupid song, and I'm pretty sure they've been playing it since September 11th. Might have my facts wrong on that. Remember, I told you, I don't even know why they're playing it after the seventh inning. You know, if you're opening with that, that's fine, but everybody's got to play that national anthem. I'm about to say stupid national anthem because I just don't care. I don't know why it's played before every game. I just don't. It's. I just feel it's unnecessary. The whole thing is unnecessary. You want to support the country. We want to remember that we're Americans. That's the beautiful part. So, yes, okay, so play God Bless America, but you don't need both during a dumb sporting event. You don't need both. You got to choose one or the other. We're patriots, and we know it, and that's the plan. Now, the thing is, now they've cut out God Bless America, and I hope they don't replace it with anything. It doesn't need to be done if you're doing the national anthem. But I think they should do the national. I mean, if you're talking about baseball, you should do the national anthem uh, the day before. You know, a series starts like on Friday night before you have a game. Let's say it's the Mets and the Brewers. Friday, it's a weekend series. It's a three part series or a four game series. Do the national anthem and then and then you're good to go. I just don't think it needs to be played every single time at every single game. Um, I I I just don't know. And at this point, now it's just who knows what's happening. So. With this, now they've stopped it. And also, the Philadelphia Flyers, who apparently also used to play this particular version of God Bless America by Kate Smith, also have stopped it. And they removed a statue of her at the Flyers, which I don't know what her significance is there, because she sang this song 
That's why the darkies were born. Now, that, of course, you can say, I mean, there, there's nobody that's going to say, what? Because I'd never heard of that song in my life. Oh, my God. Sounds pretty goddamn racist. But this was a very popular song in 1931, but it was very clearly, no, 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 no. Listen, I'm going to tell you, I just told you the lyrics. To me, it is not clearly a parody, but it was supposed to be a a parody and, um, you know, a, a statement against slavery. It's uh, that that's what we've been told. It was a parody. Um, but nobody how how are we supposed to know that a song from 1931 that clearly goes, uh, you know, that the, the lyrics are somebody had to pick the cotton, somebody had to plant the cord. I I'm not sure where the parody lies on that. Now, this woman's just singing a popular song of the 1930s. So you get rid of her statue the way you got rid of, you know, uh, what's the guy from Penn State? Uh, Paterno, Joe Paterno statue, because, you know, he let a child rapist for the last 20 years, knowing full well this guy was a child rapist. Yeah, you get rid of that douchebag statue. Absolutely. But do you really just throw Kate Smith's statue? Is it really her fault? You know whose fault it is? It's the Philadelphia Flyers' fault not doing some research before they spend money on putting a statue outside of fucking Philadelphia to rival Rockies before doing the research backstory. Well, let's take a look at this Kate Smith and make sure she wasn't a slave owner or whatever. Let's take a look at something in her past to make sure we're not putting money where, you know, a couple years down the line, this is going to be a disaster and bite us in the ass. And quite frankly, 20 years ago, even, if, if you found that somebody sang a song, that's why the darkies were born, you'd probably be like, whoa, ooh, correctamundo. It's pretty goddamn racist, and they can call it a parody all they want, but that one is racist. It's just you know, but okay, you're in 1931, you're in the moment, somehow that's a goddamn popular song, which is why, thank God, we live in this time and not then, you're just the recording alone, oh God, just no idea, um, it's so embarrassment that that even existed, um, but if that's what everybody was doing and that seemed to be the fun moment, what are you supposed to do, and that's of course... You know, it's in the Marx Brothers movies, too. It was so popular, and, you know, Groucho said some really funny stuff about it. But, well, here, I'll, I'll even play it. Cause, well, he, they, I, I don't have the clip, but um, let me see if I have it. So, yeah, Groucho says in Duck Soup, he says, my father was a little headstrong, my mother was a little Armstrong, the headstrongs married the Armstrongs, and that's why the Dockies were born. So they cut that out a lot of Duck Soup, but they shouldn't. Uh, it sounds racist, but he's referring to the song, which was popular. And th- and what I say now is, if you're going to get all crazy because this woman sang, she didn't write the song, she sang a song in 1930s and then was clearly a patriot singing God Bless America. She did, you know, she's singing a popular song at the time. So what you're basically saying is, and so you just you just you just stop playing. You don't have to tell everybody you're stopping playing. And I think you just stop it with the God Bless America. But I guess, but where does it end? So now the Yankees, we should fold the whole Yankees organization because the Yankees 
didn't get on board with letting black people into their organization. They were like 15 years or 20 years later than they could have. They were against letting black people into the organization. Uh, Jackie Robinson, I believe, was in the 40s. So the Yankees were one of those organizations that said, we don't want any black. Joe DiMaggio signed on for that. So why don't we get rid of his statue too? And why don't we just fold the Yankees organization who clearly wanted nothing to do with black people uh, for the 20 years where they could have uh, invited people in. I think we should fold, the Yankees should fold as an organization because there was a lot of racism and prejudice there. And I think we need to look at that. We might need to, the Yankees might have to just leave town and um, go to another city, maybe Jersey, go to New Brunswick, New Jersey, call yourselves the New Jersey uh, Yipes. It doesn't matter. The Yankees should be uh, folded as an organization if this is what we're doing. Uh, If this is the path that we're going to be on, going to, what what did I say? Uh, Yeah, beyond. I thought I said beyond. Then are you telling me that possibly in 20 years, we're going to have to bring Ariana Grande up on charges for singing that song Seven Rings? Because I don't know whether you guys know, but when we become friends with the radical Muslims in 20 years, as we often do, as I talked about last week with our enemies, um, they're going to get angry because I think Seven Rings is very detrimental to what the is uh, the radical Muslims believe, and Ariana Grande is a major racist. That's where we're headed. Uh, you know, I think the problem is is that we've got to relax. Our country has a very tainted history. Thanksgiving alone should not be celebrated from the slaughtering of the Indians that we did. We should not be celebrating Thanksgiving anymore. I mean, if we're doing this, we should just fold as a nation and let somebody else move in because the way this was all put together by slaves going to another country and getting people to be work for us, I mean, we suck. Uh, a lot of our country, but then you could say that about any civilization that's been lasting for a long time everybody has a dark past and you either embrace it and move on or you just continue to go deep and just keep getting rid of things that yeah they they're bad news but we did it and we deserve the repercussions uh in looking for the thing where Groucho said the darkest I have this opening scene from Duck Soup, which uh, truly, again, in 1930s, it's unbelievable that they made movies like this with this um, unbelievable comedy banter that they, they don't even have nowadays for anybody. This is the opening scene where we meet Groucho. You expecting somebody? Yes. Oh, Your Excellency. We've been expecting you. As chairwoman of the reception committee, I extend the good wishes of every man, woman, and child of Fredonia. Never mind that stuff. Take a card. Card? 
What'll I do with the card? You can keep it. I've got 51 left. Now, what were you saying? As chairwoman of the reception committee, I welcome you with open arms. Is that so? How late do you stay open? I've sponsored your appointment because I feel you are the most able statesman in all Fredonia. Well, that covers a lot of ground. Say, you cover a lot of ground yourself. You better beat it. I hear they're going to tear you down and put up an office building where you're standing. You can leave in a taxi. If you can't get a taxi, you can leave in a huff. If that's too soon, you can leave in a minute and a huff. You know you haven't stopped talking since I came here? You must have been vaccinated with a phonograph needle. The future of Fredonia rests on you. Promise me you'll follow in the footsteps of my husband. How do you like that? I haven't been on the job five minutes and already she's making advances to me. Not that I care, but where is your husband? Why, he's dead. I'll bet he's just using that as an excuse. I was with him till the very end. <laughs> no wonder he passed away. I held him in my arms and kissed him. Oh, I see. Then it was murder. Will you marry me? Did he leave you any money? Answer the second question first. He left me his entire fortune. Is that so? Can't you see what I'm trying to tell you? I love you. Oh, your excellency. You're not so bad yourself. Oh, I want to present you, Ambassador Trentino of Sylvania. Having him with us today is indeed a great pleasure. Thank you, but I can't stay very long. Not even a greater pleasure. Now, how about lending this country $20 million, you old skinflint? $20 million is a lot of money. I'd like to take that up with my Minister of Finance. Well, in the meantime, could you let me have $12 until payday? $12? Don't be scared. You'll get it back. I'll give you my personal note for 90 days. If it isn't paid by then, you can keep the note. Your Excellency, haven't we seen each other somewhere before? I don't think so. I'm not sure I'm seeing you now. It must be something I ate. Look here, sir. Are you trying to... Don't look now. But there's one man too many in this room, and I think it's you. Oh, I'm so sorry. I want you to meet a very charming lady. And it's about time. Just a moment. I want to present Miss Vera Markell. Go ahead, I can take it. Oh, you don't understand. This is Vera Markell, the famous dancer. Is that so? Hmm. Can you do this one? Oh. <laughs> I danced before Napoleon. No Napoleon danced before me. In fact, he danced 200 years before me. Here's one I picked up in a dance hall. Here's another one I picked up in a dance hall. Uh, Perhaps sometime we get a chance to dance together, huh? I could dance with you till the cows come home. Yep. On second thought, I'd rather dance with the cows till you come home. Huh. Where's my secretary? Here I am. Good heavens, your excellency. Uh, take a letter. Who to? To my dentist. Uh, dear dentist, enclosed fine check for $500, yours very truly. Send that off immediately. I'll, uh, I'll have to enclose the check first. You do, and I'll fire you. Your excellency... The eyes of the world are upon you. Notables from every country are gathered here in your honor. This is a gala day for you. Well, a gala day is enough for me. I don't think I can handle any more. If it's not asking too much. For our well, that's the opening scene to Duck Soup. I mean, it's one line after the n another. It's unbelievable, really. I mean, I know everybody knows the Marx Brothers were something else, but that's something you could show to somebody who's much younger and be like, wow, that's really funny. And it really is funny, and it's amazing how they just let it play out, and there's no music in the background, and it's just Groucho. And, you know, I think they used to rehearse all those lines. Can you imagine? They used to rehearse them live, like, you know, somewhere like go into, like, the Comedy Cellar or something, and like, hey, we're rehearsing our new movie lines. I mean, boy, that must have been something else if people could see that before they uh, put it on film to make sure that they worked. Um, I think that's super cool.
One of my favorite Sting songs, If I Ever Lose My Faith in You, one of my favorite Sting songs, I sing it to myself, it's in my head, mostly on a daily basis, perhaps on a weekly basis, and Sting just announced that he will be doing a Vegas little residency next year called Sting My Songs. You'd think he'd come up with a better title than that, but at Caesars Palace in May of 2020, and... um, Tell you, me and my sister are probably gonna we're gonna get on a plane and go to that because uh, he's awesome. I've seen him play a couple times, but haven't seen him in a long time, and I would like to go see him. There's finally a residency in Vegas. I would be interested in going to Vegas to see because his catalog of songs is gonna be a little better than Kate Smith, which is just God Bless America and. Uh, what was something? That's why God created the darkies. What is that? Oh my God! Oh my God! Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! Yeah, let's correct the mundo. But yeah, that's uh, pretty exciting stuff. Well, I suppose that's our show for this week, and uh, I thought it was kind of fun—the kind of shows that we like to do. There was ranting. There was raving. There was 70s television show talk when we talked about Maud and Adam 12. I mean, that is what the Nightfly is all about with jazz and conversation. So next week, well, I'm not sure what's going to happen. I guess we'll see. I know we're planning on having a live, well, not a live, but a telephone call show. I am still working out the details. and The only thing that's complicated is the guy that's doing it just doesn't have Um, he's not free in a couple of days that I wanted to do it. Otherwise, we will put that together, and that'll be great. I am also planning, and I've in the planning stage. I just got to find the right day. The Comedy Cellar, me, Gilbert Gottfried, Frank Santapadre, Dave Attell, and, well, you know, we'll ask Keith Hernandez if he wants to show up. Now, that's a show. Now, that's a show. And if that show all came, if we got all those four people and we, we did it at the Comedy Cellar, Well, then it's worth just you and me talking for the past, like, six months. Because that's a show you would wait six months to hear. But trying different things, trying to go in crazy directions, and trying to keep the same. Everything that the people like from the Nightfly. That's our show, everybody. Everybody enjoy the last days of April. And we will see you when the calendar turns to May next week on the Nightfly with me. Dave Juskow. Good night, everybody.